Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. Amen. Today, I want to talk about why we should center our lives on Jesus. To live a life centered on righteousness means we must be centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that God didn't just give us his word and say, obey it? No, he is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He was tempted in all ways such as we are, but he did not sin. So Jesus absolutely knows what it feels like to give himself in this world as in the flesh of a man or a woman. He understands what that means to be tempted. He understands how to feel emotion. He understands how to feel pain and suffering and hardship. Aren't you glad that God feels that for you and me? Listen, he didn't have to die on the cross to be able to feel that. He created you and I. So he didn't have to do that. But yet he did that because he is a God of love and he is a God of justice and he desires for you and me to know him intimately and relationally, personally, not just from a distance. I hate that song. If I value certain principles of God's word, but I do not walk with God relationally, then it's easy for me to do three things. Number one, I can value what Jesus can do for me, but not do for him what he asks me. Are you with me? I'm talking about how easy it is to value aspects, characteristics of who God is without valuing God himself. Listen, Jesus did not die to save you to work for him. Hello. Jesus died so that you as a son and a daughter would be restored to him. And what you do for him, you do out of a posture of love and acceptance, not out of something where you're trying to prove yourself to God and prove yourself to other people that you are good and important. God already knows you're important. That's why he gave his only begotten son for you and me. We love because he first loved us. It's extremely important that we understand that he wants us, not just what he can get us to do for him. 
Why would anybody give their life for the gospel? You've heard me say this many times over the years. People give their life for the gospel not because they have to, but because they recognize like Peter did, I'm not worthy to die the same way as my Lord, so crucify me upside down. Why would anybody say something like that except for love? except for understanding that God is eternal and everlasting to everlasting. So some of the things that uh, we value, when we value God's word, but not relationally with Jesus, we can value what he, what he can do for us, but not what he asks us to do. Number two, allow us to think that we can attain favor with God some other way outside of faith alone. So how is somebody saved from their sin? Well, they're not saved by going to church. They're not saved by being water baptized. They're not saved by giving money. They're not saved by doing good deeds. They're not saved by confessing your sin. You are saved by repenting of your sin and putting your faith alone in Jesus Christ and saying there's nothing else that I can do to save myself it's only what you have done for me that I trust you and I can be free from my sin amen and out of that place of faith comes the evidence of good works good works comes out of true faith so it's not faith and good works that saves you from sin. How many of you know this is important to understand? Because there's a lot of people who don't listen and who don't value these things and they think that the goodness of God is going to save them. Look, He is good and He does want to save you, but if you're only looking to what you can get out of God, but you're not willing to lay down your life the way that He laid down His life for you, then it's no wonder you will never understand Him. We've got to have revelation of who Jesus is. We have to understand that who he is and my faith in him is what's going to change my life and root me and establish me in his love, in his truth of his word and help me to bear fruits worthy of repentance. We can't attain God's favor outside of faith alone. And lastly, whatever our preference is, is, can be limited by our maturity. So what do I mean by that? That if you just want to rely on the goodness of God and the provision of God, and you say, if you do this for me, and I focus on that, and you quote all the scriptures about God's goodness or God's you know, provision or whatever it is, but you don't listen when your pastor looks you in the eye and says, you can't be offended with your brother. Hello. It's, you can't hate your neighbor. You can't gossip. See, if you only value certain things about God, then you can establish a God in your life that doesn't exist, which is idolatry. But yet if you willingly say, God, your word is like a mirror and it reveals to me who I am. 
Therefore, I want to value everything that you say in your word. I want to study to show myself approved. I want to be a man or a woman of prayer. I want to walk in humility. I want to value the things that you value. My friend, if you will live like that, I can absolutely promise you that he will never leave you or forsake you. And you will be amazed at what God does to mature you in your life. You have to take steps of faith that require something of you. We, yes, Jesus did whatever was necessary for us to be saved from our sin. But just because he saves you doesn't mean that he's going to mature you. He gives you the power to become mature as you partner with him. But it requires you not just looking to the hand of God all the time, but looking at his face and saying, I want to know you. I don't want to just know about you. I don't want you to just do good things for me. I want to understand why I should give my life to you. See, if you start asking the question why, God will answer you. And he will help you to understand and establish your thinking. So listen, how many of you want to walk in peace, in joy, in victory? Why don't we have those things? It's not because Jesus has changed. It's because there's certain areas of our lives that we value him. And there's other areas that we keep the door shut and say, don't touch that, God. And he says... Behold, I stand at the door and knock. <laughs> He's knocking continuously because he loves you. Because he longs for you to be so closely related to him and not allow the rejection, the abandonment, the pain, the shame, the fear, all of these things that may have affected you in the past to determine that's who God is to you today. We have to allow our determination of who God is to come from his word. The totality of it. Amen. It is possible for us to receive all the righteousness we, in Jesus we need by faith. Yet it is impossible to mature in Christ's righteousness if we isolate ourselves from each other. Community is so important. This is one of the great values here in the Philippines, except some people use it wrongly. We want to have a good time. Let's get the karaoke out, right? Let's have community. Look, have fun. We're not saying you can't have fun as a Christian, amen? But what we're saying is, is that in your fun, do you exclude God because you don't want him to touch that area of your life? See, this is the sting of conviction that if we will pay attention to it, we'll mature. But if we don't, we keep walking in condemnation and guilt and we keep wondering why God isn't showing up and helping us to mature. It's not his fault. We just have to taste and see that he's good in every area of our life. In Genesis 15, 6, it's talking about Abraham. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So even Abraham believed, walked by faith, and that's how he inhabited righteousness. Praise God. That's all you have to do to be righteous is to believe by faith. Amen.
Psalm 5 verse 8, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. When we are centered on Christ, we can be confident that his righteousness will lead us if you don't know what to do next and there seems to be a Goliath in your way, then live righteously. That's, that's the thing I love about David when Goliath came out. He says, why is everybody standing here? Well, the guy's 12 feet tall and he's threatening and he's cursing our God. Okay, somebody got a sword? Because <laughs> I'm going out there in the battle. The righteous are as bold as a lion. When you're living in righteousness, friend, I want to tell you, he had no idea how he was going to take that giant down. But here's the good news, is that his righteousness in Christ, his centered life on Christ, what did that do for him? It gave him confidence that he didn't have by himself. So that when he felt alone and defeated by the hardships he was facing, it was so important that he would be still and know that he's God. Everybody else was shaking in their boots because they thought that's too big. But how many of you know we need some Davids to stand up? We need some men and women of God to stand up in righteousness. I don't care how good you sing. I don't care how good you dance. I don't care how much you know. Do you know Jesus intimately? Yeah. Amen. Psalm 85, 13. Righteousness will go before him and he shall make his footsteps our pathway. Without Jesus' righteousness going before us, we have no idea how to fulfill God's plan for our life. It's always amazing to me that people say, I just don't know the will of God for my life. And I say, well, how's your intimate life with Jesus? Are you living righteous? Well, I have this sin in my life. Well, um, maybe get rid of the sin, put it under the blood of Jesus, and you'll figure out what God's will is for your life. It's really not that difficult, folks. The only thing that makes it difficult is our flesh. Psalm 112, verse 9. He has dispersed abroad... He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn or his strength will be exalted with honor. The only reason our righteousness blesses others or lasts forever is when we live centered on Christ. That's it. Within myself, if you saw who I was 20 plus years ago, you might have a different perspective about who you think I am today. If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, there would be nothing in my life that would endure. I'm very proud of the fact that Casey and I will be married this next January for 27 years. I think that's awesome. I, you know why? Because that's not something that looked like it was going to happen at first. <laughs> because our first year, we were talking about divorce. And then we decided that it's not righteous to talk about divorce when we're arguing. Couples, it's okay to argue sometimes. Just don't bring up the D word or the separation word or the A word for annulment here in the Philippines. Listen, you've got to be committed 
to keeping your mouth shut when there's certain things in your flesh that you want to say that you don't need to say. Amen. Why? For the sake of honoring Jesus and living a Christ-centered life, honoring your spouse and your children. If we want our children to be blessed, we want our kids to grow up in the fear of the Lord and the love of the Father, my friend, it starts at home. Righteousness. Isaiah 58 verse 8, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. We never have to worry about what is behind us when we live centered on Christ's righteousness. Amen? Isaiah 62 verse 1, for Zion's sake I will not hold my peace and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and our salvation as the lamp that burns God is committed to you and me if he's committed to Israel fulfilling her destiny then he's committed to you and me he absolutely is Matthew 6 but seek first the kingdom of heaven of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you life is never about what to do next. It's always about where and whom upon your life is centered. You don't have to live in anxiety, stress, fear, and worry. Well, that's easy for you to say. No, it's not. You think I don't face those things? You know, when you see somebody who's been walking with the Lord for a while, and you're kind of new at this, understand that over and over and over they've had to renew their mind to not live a life of anxiety and stress and worry and fear and doubt let me tell you it is possible to live a life centered on Jesus and live in absolute freedom hello you don't have to sin and yes anxiety stress fear is sin <laughs> you say well I didn't ask for it. Well, if you're not putting God first and being the center, then you're asking for it. You're inviting it into your life. You have to not let sin be your master. Amen. You must learn how to put everything under the blood of Jesus. And the more you live a Christ-centered life, the more you will be shocked and amazed what God does with you. Now, when King Saul centered his life upon his own good works and not upon the Lord's righteousness by faith, his self-righteousness blinded him to fulfilling God's plan in his life. David reveals how as we center our lives around the righteousness of God, the Lord will work out all things together for our good. Now, in 1 Samuel 24, it says, and if you have your Bible, you can open up and follow with me. It says, now it happened when Saul returned. Now, listen, God had already turned away from Saul because Saul wanted to live a self-centered life. Saul wanted to live as a king of Israel according to his own way and not God's way. 
He didn't do things God's way, so God turned himself, himself away from Saul and then anointed David as king. But while Saul was still alive, David honored Saul because he looked at him as a father in the faith. And even though Saul had failed, David was still respectful of the calling that was originally on, God, on Saul's life. 1 Samuel 24, now it happened when Saul returned from, the, returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, take note. Now Saul's angry at David. He's jealous of David. Why? Because David chose to not live a self-centered life, a self-righteous life, but Saul was a self-righteous individual. So he became jealous of David. And he said, take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men. 3,000 men! <laughs> and I guarantee you all of those men were fearful of Saul. The scripture tells us that when David came in as a teenage boy just leading worship to help alleviate Saul from the demonic influence that was affecting him, that he would get so jealous of David that he would take a spear and he would throw it. He was jealous because he was not willing to do what God asked him to do, but because somebody else was doing what he was supposed to be doing, he became jealous of him and thought, well, I'll just get my flesh and kill him. Now, he's got 3,000 men going after David in the wilderness. Just shows you his anger and his self-righteousness. They went to seek David and his men among the rocks and the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. And Saul went in to attend to his needs. That means he went to go to the bathroom. <laughs> he went to relieve himself in the cave. And he went to also rest. And the men said, of David said to him, this is the day... Look, these are the men that are around David now. They said, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So while he was resting, David quietly came up, cut a corner of his clothing and then left. Now it happened afterward that David's heart was troubled him. He was convicted. Say convicted. Because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid. Oh friend, you need to hear this. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master. The Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he has anoint, he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David 
could have stopped Saul's pursuit of him. He could have killed him right there. And Saul's men would have turned to David because David has now been anointed as king. They, they would have had to. My point is this. Just because you have an opportunity to benefit yourself doesn't mean that it's the Lord. A lot of people do good things for God, but they never do great things for God because they're satisfied with accomplishing something that they don't have to walk around and feel anymore. I want to be free from this, you know, this worry, this anxiety of somebody chasing and wanting to kill me. You know how you could get free from those things? It's by loving Jesus. It's by being consumed with him and recognizing that whether by life or by death, you'll be with the Lord. So you have nothing to worry about even if the enemy's chasing you. Amen. Verse 8, David also arose afterward, went out of the cave and called out to Saul. He didn't have to do this. What if David listened to his own men? What if he killed Saul? What if they killed all of Saul's men? What type of kingdom would David represent? It would not be a kingdom that the Messiah could be represented through. But David did not know that one day the Messiah would come from his line. And even though David failed, the fact is David repented. And because David repented and chose for most of his life to live righteous, and God called him a man after his own heart. Listen, we're not talking about David's righteousness. We're talking about the righteousness of God in Christ. That Maybe David didn't know Jesus at that time personally, but he valued God's word. And when you value God's word, you're able to inherit promises that will help you to accomplish what you need to do in this life, not by your own might, not by your own power, and not by your own strength. He went to the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king! Isn't that interesting? He knows he's anointed king. Samuel anointed David. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth. He got on his face, on his knees, his face in the dirt. David didn't have to do that. But he was willing to do that. Because he knew what to do, what he was called to do was about righteousness. Bowed down, David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look this day. Your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yeah, I cut, yes, see, the corner of your robe is in my hand. For in that, I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Now, know and see that there is neither evil or rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. 
I'm trying to show you, Saul, because I care about you. And this is what God's trying to do for some of you this morning. Those of you who are listening by video or podcast, I want you to understand that God is saying He wants to do some things for you. But you've got to do things His way. You've got to stop fighting God. You gotta stop and surrender your will. You gotta trust Him. It is by faith alone. And if you'll do that, God promises to come and deliver you. Verse 12 Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, Wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog, a flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. You know what David did? He could have killed Saul But he said, I'm not going to live a life in the flesh anymore. I'm going to let God fight my battles. I'm going to let God establish my kingdom. I'm going to let God open up doors for me. I'm going to be still and know that he's God, even though I can make something happen. I was telling Devin the other day, we were driving through Ladislavo because we were playing basketball there. And I have a friend there that I have ministered to for 18, 20 years. And he hasn't surrendered his life to Jesus yet. And his family is extremely wealthy. And probably some months before, this is probably 10 years ago, I, I felt like I heard the Lord in prayer that he was going to open the door for me to meet Manny Pacquiao. And so three times that year, all I had to do is kick the door open a little bit. And he said, hey, listen, tonight, Jinky Pacquiao is going to be at my parents' house. And he says, I want you to come by and meet her. And so I drove. We were going to be playing basketball together right after that. So I drove and I parked on the side of the road. And the Lord said, don't go through that gate. It's not time. I'm like, but Lord, (laughs) I want a selfie. (laughs) Right? Nope. So I drove away. Hey, bro, I'll meet you at the basketball court. Another time when the whole typhoon hit in Tacloban, we were up there within two weeks after that took place with our team. And I was talking to Pastor Blair. He was sitting right there. I'm like, wow, hey, you're up here too, bro. He goes, listen, bro, just stick around five more minutes because Manny Pacquiao's coming. I really want to introduce him to you. And I said, this is it. And the Lord said, this is not it. And Mike Bailey and some of the other teams said, hey, bro, we got to go. We got to catch a ride to go. And I'm like, "Mm, well, okay, I got to go. So we left. And then another, I don't know how much longer it was after that, a friend of mine said, hey, bro, I want you to come to my birthday party. And I'm sitting down at his birthday party, and I'm sitting at this table 
you know, I'm the white guy in the center nobody wants to sit with and talk with, you know. All the Filipinos are around. I'm kind of like, hey, you know, praise God, you know. And uh, just kind of sitting there. Listen, please, talk to the white people. Help them out, okay? And, and I'm sitting there, and in walks Manny Pacquiao with his entourage, and he comes and he sits across the table from me. How you doing? <laughs> I, I mean, I can go on and on and on with that story that is so cool how God opens up doors. Now, Manny Pacquiao and I are not text mates, okay? We're not, take, hey, Manny, where you at, buddy? You know, here's a GIF, you know? <laughs> it's, it's Mayweather getting beat up, you know? <laughs> I'm talking about letting God open the doors, friend. I want everything in my life to be a testimony of God's grace. Because I don't deserve anything that I have in this life except by the grace of God. And you got to come to that conclusion in your life. Am I going to live a Jesus-centered life? A life solely centered on the Lord. I'm going to stop trying to fight and grab and get for myself. Lord, I want to know you. I want to trust you. So when David finished speaking these words of Saul, Saul said this, is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice, listen, and he wept. If you don't know how to break through to some people, God does. And if you do things his way, God will open up the hearts of people. Verse 17, then he said to David, listen to this, you are more righteous than I. Did you hear that? You are more righteous than I. For you have rewarded me with good, whereas I rewarded you with evil. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? When people want to accuse you and lie and hurt you, how do you respond to your enemies? You love, you forgive. And you have shown this day how you have dealt with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you. There's a reward for righteousness, my friends. With good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know I needed that you shall surely be king. Out of Saul's mouth, he's saying, I recognize that despite my failure, that God's hand is on your life. You are more righteous than me. You are the king. It's one thing, my friend, for other people to tell you how great you are. It's another thing for your enemy to tell you, we see what's in you and we value it. This is the kingdom and how it will turn this world upside down. We don't want to just isolate ourselves from the world and say, I'm living a great, prosperous, and blessed life as a Christian. No, we want to go to the streets. We want to preach the gospel, not only with our theology, but with our lifestyle. 
And we say to people that it is possible that when you center your life around Jesus, the hand of God will be upon you and he will open up doors and he will close doors and he will bless your children and he will shock you with the things that he will do that have been in your heart for years because God put those things and he's the only one who can get those things out of your heart. You should surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul and Saul went home but David and his men went up to the stronghold. I like that. Look at this. David was promised Saul's daughter, but he gave his daughter to somebody else. Saul tried to kill him. Jonathan, Saul's son, stood up for David. And, and Saul even got angry at Jonathan. My friend, it doesn't look like some people in your life will ever have a breakthrough, will ever come to the Lord. But do you know what? You might be their breakthrough. Your humility... And you centering your life around Jesus, even when they curse you, even when they lie, even when they try and get you to live a different life. I promise you this, that if you live centered on the person of Jesus and live focused on his righteousness, God will do things in the hearts of men and women that you never thought would give their life to Jesus. Interestingly enough, in verse 1 of the next chapter, I'm just going to read that verse. It says, Then Samuel died. Samuel died. The last of the judges, Samuel died. And Israel gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went to the wilderness of Paran. Jesus there could be such a transition my friend there could be such a shaking when Samuel died it shook all of Israel but then David stood up confidently in front of Israel and he began to lead as the anointed king I'm going to close with this Isaiah 64 verse 6 says but we are like all like unclean an unclean thing and all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags we all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away listen we are all going to die <laughs> all of us we're going to die and we're going to stand before God Do you know how foolish it's going to, be, to look when we stand before God and we said, I tried to live my life the way that I wanted to? <laughs> Do you know how crazy that's going to look to everybody? I think there's going to be a holy hush in heaven of people going, <gasps> like, did you not see creation? Did you not see how many stars were in the sky? Did you not see that the sun is perfect distance away from the earth? 
Did you not see that you have breath in your lungs, that God saved you from that accident and protected you here and there and watched over you? Did you not remember the wonders of the Lord? How in the world can you not center your life around Jesus? How can we not do that? You don't know how hard my life is. Friend, I don't know how hard your life is, but he does. And I'm not asking you to center your life around me. I'm asking you to center your life around Jesus because he can help you. But you have to be willing to let go. You have to be willing to fulfill the purpose of God upon your life. Some people, God will say, leave what you're doing and go. Others, he'll say, stay where you are and demonstrate my love where you are. It's different for every person. You cannot compare yourself to other people. If you do that, you're centering your life around other people. And that will not help you. But if you center your life on Jesus... I could tell you so many stories of the Lord's goodness and grace upon our lives. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.